recording before the, yeah. Because I'll see you if you're recording. Okay. Uh, hopefully it's recording now-ish. It says it is on my end. Okay, cool. I'll just, I say I'll cut the first 20 seconds of this, but you know I won't. Sure, that's fine. Bet. Welcome to You Better Believe It. Uh, today we're talking about the 2006 banger, uh, Scanner Darkly, named after the book of the same name by one of Nate and I's favorite writers, Philip Dick. Nate, what's going on in Scanner Darkly? Oh, man. Uh, so here's here's an interesting thing. I saw this movie in, like, 2007. I rented it, like, the year after it came out. Uh, and I remember it being marketed as a little more, like, madcap and zany, maybe, than what it actually is. Yeah. Uh, I, so when I first watched it, I found myself – it was kind of like – you and I talked about the movie Made with uh, Vince Vaughn and, and John Favreau before. Yeah. Uh, it's basically which, the same movie. Similar. It, it just there's a similar tone of like oh this isn't fun this isn't as quirky as it is very dark and heavy uh, though though really wonderfully funny when it wants to be um, and yeah so I didn't really enjoy it the first time I saw it but on this subsequent viewing I was like wow this is this is fucking great <laughs> yeah uh, it's funny because we're watching it like I don't remember much about the trailer but I do remember the scene with Harrelson and uh, Downey Jr. with the hammer and the rock being in the trailer, and it did it looked like a wacky cartoon show. Yeah, yeah, well, because it was that. I think they cut in both of them as bugs and stuff, and it was just sort of like, oh, cool, this is going to be just like a weird tripping out movie that's kind of quirky. Yeah, and it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not that at all. It's a it's a very thoughtfully assembled and, and brilliantly paced uh, kind of uh, surveillance state uh, tragedy, tragic comedy, I guess. I don't really even know how to classify it. It's so many wonderful things at once. Yeah, and it uh, it accurately predicted the fatness of Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I don't think I mentioned it before because I'm terrible, but uh, we have Kobe with us from Retromania, and it, weirdly that it worked out this way that he just happened to be coming over because he's like oddly knowledgeable about the production of this movie. All right. Uh, yeah. Hey, Kobe, how you doing? How's it going, Nate? Good, good, uh, pleasure good. to finally talk with you guys here on Better Bro Weebit to get our nerd nerdism going on. Oh um, yeah, thanks for being yeah, here. This is a this is a treat. It was a nice surprise because this is like I loved this movie when I saw it first time when it was released and I bought it the day it came out on DVD, everything like that. Um, yeah, very um, very odd, but it it's a happy accident, I guess. Um, yeah, it, this whole this whole movie is kind of like a scanner suit itself. Um, it just kind of changes. It's a whole amalgamation of everything, but it really works. Yeah, I completely agree. Cause I and I think part of my my issue too was the first time I watched like I hadn't I hadn't actually read the the book, so there was that where I I didn't know where I was going. Uh, and yeah, it is. It's the the plot is sort of takes this stream of consciousness, but it's also this, it's really just an unraveling of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think that's beautiful, especially for what it's trying to say, uh, which I was probably not cynical enough to get when I saw it when I was younger as well. So that was good. Yeah, it's cynical, but it's also like got kind of a weird optimism at the end, which is a tone that's hard to manage. But I think that Linklater, like this is Linklater's best movie. Definitely. Like hands yeah. down. Uh, that they manage really well. I remember I was telling Kobe 
that I was familiar with the book. And when I heard they're making a movie out of it and it was going to be animated, I was like, they're making a cartoon out of this? That's going to be fucking stupid. Yeah. And he had to <laughs> fight with the sister, well, the daughters of Philip K. Dick. And he had to, like, write them to, like, prove that this cartoon is going to be for adults. Um, and they nailed it. Yeah, I'd read too that he he fought to keep the budget under ten million, I think, so he mm-hmm. wouldn't have any sort of interference on the production, so that he could keep it all animated and everything else. It is uh, shocking that this movie cost under ten million dollars. Oh, it really is, especially considering that I mean every every crappy movie seems to cost ten million dollars now, and that's just <laughs> that's just craft services and one camera. Well, Kobe was saying, uh, did you say Keanu took like the SAG, whatever the minimum rate Keanu is? Keanu and Winona both did, and they were like, I'm in. And he was reading the book more than the actual script that was written uh, to, you know, get more in character with Bob Arctor. And he he he's like incredible in this role. And people talk about him being a shitty actor. And nowadays everybody's like, oh no, he's a great actor. Like this is the part where he peaked after the matrix you know into like more acting roles uh not necessarily just being an action star or you know a face yeah because this movie's a lot more recent than i would have thought if you asked me when this movie came out i would have said like 2000 mm-hmm. but i mean it's you know just a bit over 10 years old now yeah i think it's it was interesting so after watching it i i read like a couple of those discussion articles that they do on the av club and pretty much everybody was in agreement that Keanu Reeves was terrible in this movie, which I completely disagree with. No. Uh, was this a recent, like a, uh, like a retrospective, or was it when the movie came out? No, it's from, I think it's from about five years ago or something. It was some sort of revisiting thing. It wasn't from hmm. 06. Okay, so there's um, no excuse then. No, yeah, their, their argument was that he's too kind of nasally and surfer boy to seem frantic and confused, but I think... I think that's missing the point of the character transition, which is that you don't know that it's too late until it's too late, which is kind of the way addiction works. Like you have no idea that you're not going to come back from the next trip until you don't fucking come back. Yeah. So it's not the sort of thing where you get to have like, oh, shit, I'm losing my mind, you know, soliloquy or something happen. Like it, it doesn't play that way. Yeah. The only bit of that we get is him going, oh, fuck. When he, uh, he trips out over Donna's face and Connie's face. Yeah, and and a little bit like he raises his voice to the to the two uh, doctors who are checking him out to see how far gone he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, he he gives like such a beautiful performance, especially in the last like ten minutes or so of the movie, uh, when it gets to the coda. That like it's very powerful and like it, it's at odds with it being animated. Oh yeah, it, I I think the the way that he's able to deliver those simplistic lines that represent how limited his his mind is at that point and his ability to communicate that he does that without it's not it's not frantic it's not like a, a Heston style overact performance it's not like a person who was lobotomized in a pulp movie performance it's just like this is just his new normal this is how he acts, and he acts the way a person probably would in that condition, which I think is is really well done. And it's fucking heavy. Every two-word yeah. line that he has, I like air. You know, it's just like, because you know what was there before. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, just the kind of like the gravity from um, from what he once was. I'm having a hard time uh, Putting it like the vacuum that it's created, 
that his personality is just totally gone is heavy as fuck. Yeah, especially you know in the context of the of the reveals, right? You you get the reveal of of you know Donna and the other agent basically saying like, yeah, he was he's kind of collateral damage in this in this you know attempt to take down this corporation. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you've got that reveal, and then also the reveal of the of the flowers being there, and that the last thing that he says is kind of this almost feeble nursery rhyme that indicates that he knows what to do with the flower now that he has it. It's just yeah. whether or not he'll know by the time he gets to somebody <laughs> that I think is really compelling. Yeah, the fact that he's like subtly been programmed the whole time too. Where uh, there's, you know, the scene where he's asking what to do about Donna. And they're like, why don't you get some flowers? There's blue flowers everywhere this year. Give her flowers. Yeah. 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 Which is like a, a perfect little, like, throwaway line that fits and doesn't feel like foreshadowing at all. But then, like, it hits like a ton of bricks when he actually sees them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, for for taking. So, you know, for taking a book that's so driven by you know, these, these kind of internal monologues, I guess, is the best way to describe it, uh, to going to something that's, you know, that's viewed by the audience. They do. They do a really good job of condensing all this stuff down. And I don't think it was really on the nose because this second time, I mean, and granted, it's been more than 10 years since I saw it the first time, but I really, I did not get it. I wasn't ready. I didn't, you know, nothing felt telegraphed to me and it did. It felt it felt very uh, gratifying to to put those pieces together when the pieces came together. Yeah, I think we said it to each other after the movie ended. It was like, whew, I don't care how many times you watch it, it, it hits. Yeah. Like, the whole, the whole, yeah, it's it's great. The whole story. Yeah, and the little postscript about all his friends that he lost because of it, because their their only crime was you know wanting to have fun basically, and, like wanting to enjoy their life, and they got punished too much. And when he includes himself in it, yeah, it's I mean it's fucking dark. Yeah, and like knowing yeah. what we know about Dick and like the FBI raiding his house would actually happen, which uh, you know helped bring about that schism and that he thought that God was beaming him fucking prophecies directly from a satellite. You know what I mean? Like knowing the kind of uh, the apocrypha that goes along with Philip K. Dick himself, uh, I, I don't think it's necessary, but it gives you like a unique prism. For like the Bob Arthur character, it's almost like an autobiography in a way. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say that too. Uh, it really does. It becomes a tragic memoir, uh, you know, unintentionally. Yeah, but again, we talked about uh, like how funny it is. The scene where Freck is gonna commit suicide and it breaks into the radio narration, and he's read his sins for like a hundred thousand years or in in infinity. Yes. It's fucking hysterical. We were like literally cracking up. Oh yeah, no, that that scene made me laugh out loud and I it, it kinda make it made me wish that there were a few more pieces like that that went that far into the into the outrageous, but it, it also works perfectly because the the movies the movies punctuated by these comic beats that are genuinely hilarious. Mm-hmm. One that one being one, um the the very near hammer fight being another um and bike yeah and yeah the bike let's go rescue the orphan gears dude that was the funniest fucking scene that i you know you're you're kind of getting lulled into this paranoid moment and then suddenly you're like oh shit yeah they're just tripping these people left you know they're they're genuinely kind-hearted people who are who are just fucked up right now you know yeah and like i don't have uh experience with that kind of drugs but it's 
like I've been down those weird paranoid roads. So like it's funny because you can see a bit of yourself unraveling in these people. It's just taken to like the nth degree. Though though none of us I think is is like RDJ. No. Uh, He's like he's got it out for people anyway. There's definitely a vindictive streak to him. Oh, he's awful. Like, I mean, because uh, I've completely had forgotten about the scene where where Woody Harrelson basically chokes to death. Yeah, and he nearly dies. Yeah, and and Barris Barris is uh, RDJ's character's name. Yeah, is that right. Yeah, and he just kind of doesn't give a shit, and then he starts half-heartedly calling the authorities until you know. It's and just he he has this energy that that is very sinister. But he's like a like we talk about with some of the not any of like the wittier Bane writers that we have, but people that we've worked on books before. It's like they can't stop themselves from using ten dollar words. So yeah. like he like he has to like prove how smart he is <laughs> while his friend's dying. <laughs> like he can't just you know. And then but he's also so like so functionally stupid that. He asks, you know, he starts, he doesn't know his own address, and he goes to read off the house number, and then he's like, is the street name relevant to this conversation? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's perfect in this, and, like, side note for production stuff, he wrote all of his lines as a run-on sentence, and then turned them into acronyms, and then remembered all of his material that way. So, uh, pretty nope. fucking coked up Robert Downey Jr., nailing it though yeah because we kobe and i were talking about it and i i'm sure you remember this time this was the era where robert downey jr was a punchline this was the the betty ford era robert downey jr well, like his career was over he was woody harrelson was mm-hmm. winona ryder was <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's a movie filled with people who had drug problems who are depicting people with drug problems which is which i mean there's there's something there to to why this works so well yeah, no, Rory Cochran from Empire Records gives a really good performance and, like, I think an underappreciated performance is Freck. Yeah. You know, yeah, no matter seeing him. how much of a loser you are, that, like, you've always got that guy you can punch down to. <laughs> right. There's always, there's always somebody to, some, some dog to kick. Yeah, but like you're saying, Nate, like, this is, uh, it's, it's, I was telling Sean, it's very a meta movie. It's, it's, it it's a movie with in a movie you know they're they're <clears throat> surveillancing people but they're surveillancing themselves and it's all trippy and the rotoscope just brings a whole nother level to it um it just makes it feel like you're tripping with them the whole time oh yeah the i mean the the way the scramble suit is depicted which i mean i i don't think that there's any better way to to depict it I'm sh- I guess now you could probably CGI something if there was a live action version of this that would be similar, but uh, it's so perfect in the way that I-, I would be watching, especially when, when you know, when Arctur is in the office wearing the suit and you'd watch and you'd kind of catch on, on the cycle. You'd catch like a glimpse of Keanu every, mm-hmm. every, I don't know, every five seconds or something, but it was never enough to put anything together. And it's just such an, it's such an interesting notion, right? That none of these people can know who each other are. Because they're all surveilling each other, and he's and trying to figure himself. themselves. Yeah. Yeah, and like he's surveilling himself, and and yeah, I I think what's so cool and disorienting is that the movie is disorienting. Like you get to that you get to that two thirds point where he breaks, and he's rediscovering that he's surveilling himself, 
and he's yep. confused by it, which is like something he knew he was doing at the beginning of the movie, but it's just this breakdown and, and the way that everything spirals together. Uh, yeah. Yeah, where he's, he's totally dissociated at that point. Uh, I don't think this movie would work nearly as well without the rotoscope because the the kind of uncanny valley, the strangeness of you being able to definitely tell that there's something real underneath of this weird haze <laughs> as like, you know, their motion, you can kind of see the actor underneath of it as the animation kind of catches up to it. Um, whether that's just like a happy accident from the rotoscoping process or that was intentional, that it really, it, it really puts you there more than I think if this was just a straight up live action movie. Oh yeah, it gives you it, it's giving you a real visual depiction of kind of that color drift that can happen if you take a hallucinogen. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, and and Kobe, to your point too, one of the, one of my favorite scenes in the way that they did the movie within the movie thing was was when uh, when Barris is calling uh, because Woody Harrelson is passed out and Arctor is watching him on the screens and it's showing two angles of the kitchen at the same time. Yeah, so you're seeing you're seeing. Robert Downey Jr. turning around and yelling toward Woody Harrelson as well as talking toward a camera. And you just have these, this crazy layer of, of it's not just the surveillance, but it's also this weird fullness of the use of the space, even though it, it's very – I mean, a lot of this movie could be, could be a play pretty easily. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of big locations. Um, you know. Yeah, it's like two or three set locations, maybe the road scene, the highway. Yeah. Yeah. But uh yeah, it's all it's all very stationary, but that hallucinogenic hallucinogenic feel, it's you're I feel like I'm tripping the whole time watching the movie. Oh yeah. Um, and it just brings you into that. And then you get confused throughout the movie too. But uh they they do a good way of wrapping it up and telling you the ending and giving you the story without like nailing you in the face with it. Didn't feel like it was too deliberate you know it's funny like all the the drop-ins are so subtle that i was thinking about this when they're talking about uh the linkage if you would have asked me i would have told you there was definitely a scene where arctor accuses barris of uh, disassembling the accelerator but it's just the implication because it's like oh i got the tools at home Mm -hmm. after he says i have some specialized tools but like it's so well done that i thought that there was a scene where he literally says that to the audience but that is not in the movie Mm mm-hmm yeah, it, it, he's just like looks at him and he goes at home, like he answers you know his own question basically, and gives you that little subtle note of uh, he's being a detective and he is posing as a narc. Nate, did we lose you? Uh, no, I'm here. I just the dog threw up. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The dog threw up. Too much substance D. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just giving. Giving Toby the opportunity to go back and drink some water. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I got a puppy ripping up fucking baseball program. Oh my over god! Here. It's like a dog nightmare. We're just, we're we're getting hit on all ends. Yeah. Technology. Um, I, so this is something I texted to Sean last night, but I have to bring it up again here. Uh, Alex Jones is in this movie. Yeah. How fucking and, crazy! And, and he's kind of a heroic martyr character for his brief appearance. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because like most people are only aware of Alex Jones as the the waters turning the frogs gay Alex Jones, but he was kind of like a like a media iconoclast at least for a while in Austin, uh, and was friends with Linklater. So the portrayal of Alex Jones in the movie is period accurate, 
but in like 2019 optics is very jarring. Yeah, I had read that they that they were pretty well acquainted and and friends because he's in he's in Waking Life also, I think. Yes. Yes. Uh, with a with a larger role. Yeah, he has a way bigger role in that movie. Uh, one yeah, thing. I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. Um, no, I was just gonna say, and, and to the to the extent that he's talking about, he he hasn't quite delved into the the strange details of the deep state yet in in these in this portrayal. <laughs> he just is kind of saying exactly what's going on, which is you can't you can't trust anybody. Yeah. Uh, and I, I I guess yeah, I wanted to ask the both of you because I I left the film believing that it that this was about. Uh, Basically, a, a corporation that was doing evil. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I had read a couple of pieces that talk about it being the government, mm-hmm. and so I wanted to get your takes on it, on on what it's supposed to be. I think it's both. Uh, obviously, like, or you mean that New Path is supposed to be the government, or that we're supposed to be like? Uh, I can you reparse the question? I'm sorry. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Because f- from my perspective, I can see how there's a government problem here because. Donna and the other partner, basically, like, the the investigative force is turning against one of their own to do this, which is, yes, a, yes. Which is a problem. Uh, but I felt like New Path being, I felt like New Path was supposed to be, like, a, a business yeah. that mm-hmm. was simultaneously uh, selling uh, an addictive substance and benefiting from curing it, like, like I don't know, uh, Big several pharma? opioid companies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah so. that's what I took from it. I think the whole like the whole thing is a kind of a rumination on like the lengths we will go to do things, like what we will sacrifice, like what bits of our humanity will sacrifice to like achieve a goal. Sure. Sure. I think it also it 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 is the my theory the government working with that company and it's just the cycle that continues. Okay. So, and, and, and that's, and you're seeing that because of the way that maybe the scientists who are tracking his progress yeah, are yeah, connected. Definitely. definitely. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, I, I can see that and I was trying, I was trying to parse out whether it was just like this, this sting is so intentional and doesn't really care about people so much as using people as blunt instruments or at least using, you know, Bob Archer as a blunt instrument. Well, not only uh, that, but like that they, they go through so much to like destroy this person's mind just on a hope mm-hmm. that something will happen. Like they, this isn't a situation where he's, you know, in any kind of control of his faculty, or we're led to believe that um, he will produce results. They are just hoping that, like I think one of the characters says, uh, you know, that a few charred brain cells will turn on. Yes. Yeah. Which is which is wild because you know, uh, I think a a worse story would have had them sitting in the diner going, well. Good. Now, now all we have to do is activate the the chip in his brain, and he'll click on, and we'll we'll take these guys down. Yeah. Plan B. Yeah, it's weird because of Dick's paranoia, and like I said, because of the FBI breaking into his home and everything else that happened, that he like from his like paranoid schism accurately predicted a surveillance state. Yeah. Like oh, not yeah. there wasn't surveillance obviously in COINTELPRO and all that shit in his era, but like how well for someone you know that was writing primarily the 50s and 60s to nail where we ended up is it almost lends credence to the fact that maybe he was receiving messages from somewhere else. Possibly, I mean, like full stop on I, I when I watched this movie in 2006 and tried to get my friends into it, I was 
actually getting into hallucinogenics and taking mushrooms at the time. So I had like a, you know, a waking moment in my life and trying to tell my friends about like, oh, this is possibly the future that we're going to have, especially where technology is leading. And here we are. Oh, yeah. And to <laughs> think all... he, he did that in the 60s. Yeah. The surveillance in this movie is almost quaint, which is weird because when the movie came out, it was a dystopian nightmare, as the book especially. Yeah. yeah, it's such a it is it is really quaint in that you know th- this doesn't even presume that everybody has microphones and cameras in their pockets that are constantly on and listening <laughs> and watching. Uh, yeah, the idea that like technology is at the point where not only do you not know your boss, but your boss doesn't know who you are. You're just these two entities, like and not even singular entities, because I think we're supposed to take at least I thought that Winona Ryder and her partner are both Hank. Hmm. That would make a lot of sense with kind of the distanced way that they talk. Right. And not only that, but I mean, I'm pretty sure there are scenes where like he would be, you know, talking to the guy in the office and that Winona Ryder was on you know, premises at his house. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel like that's um, meant to be taken that way, but I'm not 100 percent sure. I, I buy it. That sounds that sounds right to me. Because, yeah, she it would be it would be too convenient for her to be sprinting through the back door to get out front to pick him up every single time. Right. You know? Yeah. And for a movie that's uh, about tripping, this has a lot of psychology to it. So they're, they're making sure they sew up all their loose ends or, you know, get everything sewn up. Yeah. There's not a lot to poke at in this. Yeah, really, really not. There, there really isn't. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I yeah. This might be your shortest episode yet. Thanks. I don't know. It's 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 about <laughs> as far from uh, Japanese anime as we've got. But I think the the rotoscope factor. I, I know I mean, you guys didn't really enjoy the witness that much, but the the sheer like visual representation of what that does to the scene. You know, it just changes everything. It makes it it makes it a little better. You know. And rotoscoping yeah. right now, like for these guys, they did. 50,000 hours on this movie? What did you say the ratio was for every... Every minute, it was like 500 hours of animation. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, because everything's constantly in flux. Um, I I mean, I got to say that the, the, the set design on this movie throughout is perfect. Are we meant to take that the house he lives in now is the house he lived in with his family? I was thinking that too. Or did his family even exist to begin with? Because, I mean, knowing, like, you know, Dick as we do, um, <laughs> hey. that, like, that's, you know, that's a big thing with him is uh, what is, like, the, what is objective reality or is there such a thing as objective reality? Because, like, is he even Bob Arthur? Is that even a real person? Because, you know, later after he's had his kind of, like, uh, his total dissociation, he starts referring to Bob Arthur as a totally separate person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of, I mean, I, I assumed that Bob Arctor was real, but I, I'm with you on the family thing. Like, it felt to me as much a dream as a fantasy. Like, it could have been a memory that was trickling back in that he was, that he was grasping onto, but it also could have easily just been the way that we, would, we can project on any space how it could be. Uh, I agree. I think it's also, like we've talked about, it's the memoir of Philip K. Dick. He had two daughters and a wife. So. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 
Um, I thought it was something we talked about uh, while we were watching the movie. I don't know if you picked up on this or if I'm just imagining it. Like, the only time Arctor is really, like, totally rational is when he's in the blur suit and seeing other people in the blur suit. Like, the combination of all the different visual stimulus is actually, like, piece. It has, like, engaged his, uh, this hemispheric problem. You know what I mean? Like, that's the only way he can process. Because he, until the very last moment, even when he's kind of out of it, when he's in the suit and speaking to somebody else in the suit, he's totally lucid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like two trips make a right. Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this it, it's it's creative, like how they're talking about him tripping while he's tripping, and then you're trying to figure out what's going on and who's behind the suits. And like you guys say, you can see subtle hints of Winona Ryder in the suit as Hank here and there. Yeah. But I think Sean had a point. I think her partner, Mike, they were splitting off the role of Hank throughout this yeah i think the yeah i'm trying to oh yeah okay so one note that i wanted to make is i really like the detail of the barcode license plates Mm. because it's very it's it's not really called to at all i mean nobody says oh we got to scan his license plate but you you see it in passing a couple of times and it's perfectly done and i mean i'm shocked that isn't that hasn't happened yet (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of nuts that we're still using alphanumerics for for something that could so easily be coded. Yeah, especially when you can just randomly put a license plate full of ones and sevens, and it's totally legal. That's a tip for you. Oh. Yeah, just alternate ones and sevens on most standard license plate fonts, and you can't read it for more than, like, five feet away. Ooh, nice. Better than one of those weird filter cage things that people put on there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if so, if a cop's behind you with that license plate, he's gonna figure it out. But yeah, they have those you know. scanning devices yeah. now too. <laughs> but um, yeah, this movie doesn't look fondly on the police, and neither do we. So <laughs> I think it's like right up our. It's kind of on brand for us. Uh, the police is terrible, and or totally like the dissociation of the police and the doctors. Like everybody's very cold. Like that's another mm-hmm. kind of theme in this. Is like. The coldness of people. I think Winona Ryder even says, shit, we're colder than them, which is an odd statement. Right. But, like, everybody's so detached that even if they're not on drugs, they're, like, barely humans. They're just there to perform some kind of function. Nobody has any empathy in this movie, except for Arctur, and that's maybe. <laughs> oh, I mean, that like, the, the and that lays out so perfectly in that opening scene when he's giving the speech to the assembled group of, I guess, powerful men in Orange County. Yeah. Who are all they're they're all listening to the discussion of what is depicted to be a very serious problem in their community, and not one of the people looks concerned or anything. Like they're all checked out. They're kind of laughing at him when he when he forgets his lines yeah. in in this speech. And it just it it does the the whole the whole world reeks of this very kind of like detached individualist. Uh, I don't know, like just, yeah, uh, aggressiveness that's so it's become so passive aggressive that it's it's like active not caring mixed yeah. with, yeah, yeah. Even the cop that pulls over Freck in the one scene, he's got like military, you know, he's all tactic tactical. He's like ready to go to war. I know that's his part of his imagination, but it gives you a insight to this reality that they're in, this dystopian future. 
Oh yeah, yeah like, go ahead. Oh, the, the way that that the way that that fantasy scene breaks down too is remarkably like. Uh, well, we we had this last week, and this has happened a couple times in the last few months. Uh, but uh, a a black student in Boulder, Colorado, was picking up trash by his apartment building, and the police officer like came up to detain him for doing so. Um, and then keeps making sort of keeps saying subtle hints like, "Hey, you need to put the weapon down," even though and he's it's holding a trash like, one scooper. Of those, it's yeah. one of those like little trash pickup wand things, and he's like, "This isn't a weapon." Stop, you know, he's like, "Well, I feel threatened," you know, and that's the same kind of language that this fantasy cop uses before he blows before he blows Freck's head off in in that fantasy. It's yeah. yeah, I mean, it's really it's scary how on the nose this is. For how it is. <laughs> right. And we just kind of like roll with it. You know what I mean? Like, of course, we think about it and how terrible it is, but like, it doesn't affect my day to day life. Now, I'm not, you know, one of these people that's in this situation to be harassed by the cops generally. So, like, it's like you commiserate, but it's hard to like get wound up because it's just every day. Like, it's just, it's, you know, not to make a pun, but it's just white noise. We, yeah, yeah. We really become complacent with it and uh, the norm. Yeah, this uh this movie is great though. I I I enjoyed watching it with you again. Like like you said, I I hadn't seen it in a couple of years, and just the impact of it again now just it rings true to everything that we're affected by in our society today. You had a weird moment with it too because I pulled the DVD out specifically to watch it, and then I couldn't find it, so I panicked and went to buy it on Amazon, but it was on Prime, so that worked out. Yeah, I was very happy to see it on Prime too. This is a movie that, like, is a tough to introduce to somebody. I think Kobe touched on it earlier, but this is, like, you don't want to show this to your normie friends. Like, I, I, think, that's, I think that's honestly why I didn't enjoy it the first time, because I was too, I hadn't, I hadn't experienced enough stuff. Like, I mean, I was still out of college, but I hadn't, I hadn't done that much. And I certainly hadn't, you know, uh, borne witness to the world as it is now. Uh, where all, all these things seem very obvious and, you know, it's not conspiracy theory and it's not even fiction. It's just science. <laughs> I'm going to put on your prognostication hat. How long until we have totally faceless police like this? Like, you know, not that technology specifically, but something that totally obscures your identities. Ten years? Yeah. Yeah. I think we're already at that point, too, where they're doing the video. Uh, yeah. Uh, just wait till they put a pistol on the side of that thing. <laughs> um, no, the thing is, like, I would think it would be sooner, but the fact that we have them on their own videotapes doing shit and nothing still happens to them makes me wonder if uh, it if they're that concerned about concealing their identities at this point. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't seem to matter. Um, but but the, the technology is already there. Like anybody could go in and probably deep fake a bunch of a bunch of videos of these guys, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that you know, it's funny that you you brought that up because like if you're not familiar with the blur suit, it is almost like a deep fake, but it's just constantly cycling between you know different pictures. It's hard. There's no like I can't draw a parallel in anything else that I've seen. Like it's wholly unique to this movie. So. Um, it's tough, but that that would be the best way to put it. If like you overlaid a deep fake on top of something, but just changed the picture like in segments, because it's not like it just constantly shifts through a person. It's almost like the Rorschach mask from Watchmen. Yeah, but with human yeah, yeah. features. 
instead of visibility, it's like hyper visibility. Right. Mm -hmm. Like everything is going on all at once. So you, you, you can't figure anything out. It doesn't matter that something is there. It's disorientingly, it's a disorienting amount of input. Is this the best Philip Dick adaptation? I mean, Blade Runner is kind of the only other one that holds a candle. I think uh, Sean said that verbatim. <laughs> yeah, and Blade, but Blade Runner is not really an adaptation so much as like I don't want to say an homage, but it is. There's like the major themes of the book are not in the movie, which I think works better in a movie because like if you put all that mercerism and all that shit in the movie, I don't think it would be very entertaining. And it would be a completely different movie. It wouldn't be like this neo-noir. Like, it wouldn't be the same movie at all. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and with that in mind, this is, this definitely is. I mean, I can't think of... I looked at all the other adaptations and... Well, I mean, I texted you last night to say that I still want to see the Adjustment Bureau, but I haven't seen it yet. Have you seen it? And it's okay. No, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, we got what? What is this going up against? It's going up against Paycheck with Ben Affleck. Um... The Radio Free Album, which is a book I like, but apparently the movie is really shitty, and yeah. I haven't seen it, so it's not fair for me to uh, to cast dispersions on it, but I haven't heard anything good about it. Are you all not fans of Minority Report? It's fine. Yeah. No, I haven't, I've never seen it. <laughs> oh, wow. It's, it's a big, dumb popcorn movie. Like, it touches on the themes, but it's not... It's a Tom Cruise flick. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah ultimately, it's just it's a summer action movie. Yes. But uh, it, it wasn't terrible. Okay. No, no, not at all. Spielberg didn't get terrible until years after that. Has there been a terrible adaptation of Philip K. Dick? Um, I'm going through the list now, Nate. Uh, let's see. There was Total Recall, which is fun. Uh, wholly different from the short story, mm. but fun. Um, there is Screamers, <laughs> that movie about the robot... Uh, centuries. Yeah. Um, the Minority Report. There's the movie Imposter. Yeah. Oh. Is is supposed to be very bad. Natural City. Natural City, which is a Korean movie that I don't think you can actually purchase, but it's also based on Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Uh. A Scanner Darkling Next with uh, Nicolas Cage, which is actively bad. Yeah, I've never seen that, so that might rank up there. Though. Yeah, Radio Free Album Earth, The Adjustment Bureau. And Blade Runner 2049, which obviously doesn't count. And then Electric Dreams, which I've seen none of. Nate, have you seen any of that? That is that the anthology series? Yes. Yeah, I haven't watched any yet. I keep meaning I, to. I tried to watch an episode, and I, I honestly fell asleep. Yikes. I think, and I, I don't know if TJ brought this up, because I know he watched it. He wants me to watch it to commiserate with him. But I think they saw an IP that was, like, close enough to, like, hey, you guys like Black Mirror, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They knew so, the Twilight Zone reboot was coming out, and, you know, yeah. we'll get out ahead of that a little bit. Yeah. This is what they call in the business a cash grab. Pretty much. <laughs> it's a comp title. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, this movie is is fantastic, and I nobody talks about this movie, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't really, like, I kind of disappeared from my awareness until you brought it up to watch the, to watch it for this. Cause yeah, yeah I don't. I really don't know anybody who talks about it, and they should, because this is this is like prognostication. This is this is a quality movie about the human condition in 2019. 
And it has like a, it's a morality tale also, but it's not like overly preachy, even though it has like very heavy Christian themes in it. Like, I mean, there's like straight uh, readings of, you know, uh, passages from Corinthians and like Dick was if you if you ever get a chance and like you want your mind to completely break in half, read the exegesis of Philip K. Dick. It's this like this family Bible sized textbook of all his like religious ramblings. And it's <laughs> fascinating. Ooh, nice. Yes. Kobe. Yeah, this um <laughs> this movie is incredible all the way through and like like I said they spent so much time on the animation. They filmed this movie in 6 weeks and then took 18 months to do all that animation and they like the animators were taking so long because the process is it's 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 a long process you're taking frame by frame by frame to try to make it look real and they they nailed it that truck scene that we see where they're getting the tow truck from the car that looks real the grill yeah. of that truck they spent hours on this um and they actually like they were 6.7 million on their budget and then they asked for an additional two to finish up the um last bit of animation for the year so they were right under 10 million for the budget yeah and I don't know how this did in the secondary markets, but it did not make money in the theater, and I'm not surprised because, like, like you said, like, how do you market this movie? Yeah, the trailer makes it seem like it's a it's a quirky like comedy in a way, and it's yeah, totally I thought not. it was terribly marketed because it yeah I was I mean I think I would have really enjoyed this movie if I was set up for what it was when it came out, mm-hmm. and I I was just expecting something completely different. Yeah, yeah, but like. It, the movie's only an hour and 40 minutes. It It's over in a second. And for a movie where, like, I don't want to say not a lot happens, but, like, it's not propulsive in, like, an action sort of way. Um, It's, you know, it's a, kind of like a bunch of vignettes stitched together by, like, the overall narrative of the police surveillance. Like, the scenes don't necessarily have to go together, like, but it's just so fantastic and it goes by so fast. I think that's the beauty of it is it, it, it does move quickly. It's not, it isn't, you know, it's not linked together by action. It's not, it doesn't fall into the, any of sort of the more traditional film formats, right? Like action or musicals or porn where it's like, okay, well we need a little bit of story and then something, something to please the crowd. And then a little bit more story. This is all story the whole time. Yeah. But it's, it's really, and it, it does, it, it's so worth it because it's re, it's rewarding on subsequent viewings because you you really start to feel the unraveling of his mind as you go through it. Whereas the first time, I think you can't, you know, I, I've had this conversation a couple times, but, you know, the first time that I watched a movie, it usually kind of washes over me and I can walk away with like, I like that or I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. But if it's a really good movie and you go back and watch it, you start, you start really reading it and reading into it and feeling it in different ways. And this is a movie where that definitely happened this time around, where I, in, instead of being confused by this sort of, uh, I mean, it's really like, it, it is like a stream of consciousness. And like the way the plot breaks down is like a river just sort of flowing downstream, yeah. and flowing to a trickle, right? Until eventually it's, there's just the, this last moment. Um, but it, it, it really is, you know, when you can see the curves coming and when you can see the ways that the, that that river is changing and diverting, you start to really pick up like, Oh, he, he doesn't get where he is. And this isn't like, uh, Oh no, you know, weird. It's, it's a complete 
I guess I guess it's if you can if you begin to empathize with this movie, it becomes both a very effective story of science fiction, but also an effective horror because it's like, oh, yeah, if I completely lost the ability to recognize, say, the woman laying in my bed or if I completely lost the ability to understand where my own thoughts were coming from and I didn't know why I didn't understand that, that would be insane. It would be terrifying. Yeah, or not even be aware that you didn't understand it. Well, and that's the, yeah, that's I mean, and that's the thing that's so interesting about about Keanu Reeves' performance is because he he plays a person who is not aware, but also not aware that he's not aware, which is this two layers of being able to be viscerally afraid without knowing why you're afraid, and yeah, not he, knowing that you're afraid. And the fact that they're kind of like driving him to the psychosis on top of it, not only by kind of like heavily suggesting he takes the pills. But even that scene with the um, the line drawings, and it's like it's a sheep, and I'm like no, it's a dog, which in a line drawing is not a like a distinct difference. You know what I, I mean? I thought you, that same thing. It was like that could probably be both. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just enough to kind of like just nudge him where you want him to go. Yeah. Yeah, and right when you're thinking like, what's going on with the story? Is he the drug dealer? What are they trying to get to? It it wraps it up for you in like ten minutes. And it gives you all the answers right there. It's great. So there's a there's there's a scene where he's uh, Bob and and Donna are hanging out in her place, and he like he's trying to make a move on her, and she says that she can't because she does too much coke. I yeah. snored a lot of cocaine. <laughs> so so I can't we can't touch each other. I, and I was conf- I I was confused about what that was and whether I'm supposed to take it as like. That's her just avoiding having physical contact with him because she's working. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Okay, okay. Um, and they so it they did it subtly. Up. Yeah, yeah. So it didn't matter. There's not anything about that. I was like, why? Why is that even a thing? I think but it's one of those just, you don't want to name a dying dog. But I like. But she's still like physically intimate with him. They say she has a touching thing, but there are definitely scenes where she like picks his arm up and puts it around her so she's definitely she genuinely cares yeah but maybe she just doesn't want to go down that last fork in the road you know what i mean sure yeah yeah and it gets to the next level of where they're at the uh what's the place the new path new path yeah yeah just uh another another thing that we're experiencing now today and just that visually that last scene there with the jib spot it's beautiful it's one of the most beautifully animated scenes that i've seen and i i love it and just like sean said the 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 hints of keanu being this character and like you said nate he's just he's he's hitting it he's nailing it right there yeah well also like in a dumber movie well one like we were talking about the act structure of this like, it kind of starts out in the middle of this, like, traditionally what would be the second act, and the whole movie's the second act until the last ten minutes, which they smash, like, a like an ending into. Um, but it doesn't feel rushed at all. But in a dumber movie, New Path would be all over this movie. Mm. Like, it's very, like, it's mentioned in the, the diner scene. I think it might be mentioned one or two more times, like, very briefly. And you don't get the reveal until the very end what's actually going on there. And the way that they and the way that they showed you New Path, like when when she drops him off there, and he, and one like he falls to the floor and vomits, 
And then the orderly from New Path comes out and is like, oh, you know, another loser or something, I think, Mm -hmm. is what he calls him. Yeah. And then she says something about, I think she says something like, well, maybe he'll be a winner. I can't remember what it was. but She says it's easy to win. Yeah, it's easy to win. Easy to win. Uh, Anyone can win after that. Yeah. The, the fact that, like, the, that's the perspective, which it rang so it rang so sadly true that someone who's at this, like, renowned rehab facility is going to go to every person they intake and call them a fucking loser. Yeah. And, and drag them back there basically like, well, yeah, you're you're a waste of space. I mean, it's it. Yeah, it was. It you was get that. Bad. Yeah, you get that, like that realness, that level of burnout like this. You know, he's an orderly at a fucking rehab center. He's not like, you know, on the cutting edge of treatment. It's just a job. And he's probably like, it burns you out, you sure. know? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, like, no, I'm not, I'm not excusing know. it, but, like, it's it's very real. And, I mean, that is that is a problem we have with, like, a lot of, like, the care systems in our country. It's like, oh, we'll give this guy 11 bucks an hour to try and take care of him. You know what I mean? It's just like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think what, what hit me about it was just that it – the couple of the couple of visuals we get of New Path and the mentions we get really uh, elevated is this sort of holy super solution to everything, right? Yeah. That it's this that's it is itself an object of reverence. Yeah, and it's also and, inevitable. Like you will start doing uh, substance D, your brain will break, and you will go to New Path. That is, you know, for lack of a better term, the path. Yeah, that's just how it happens. Yeah. And but the the fact that when we see the machinations of this thing, I mean, first like the first person that, that we int- that we're introduced to isn't kind. It's not like, you know, you're not getting the sort of uh Christian youth pastor style person that I would have expected to welcome somebody into this. Yeah. You just get a disgruntled orderly who basically is probably just biding time until he gets hooked on substance D and then <laughs> becomes a patient at new path. But then also the, you know, the next level person who's basically like a, a, a military officer who just assigns him from mopping the floors to, Oh, you're going to go do, you know, you're going to go do outdoor agriculture. Outdoor you're going to go do agriculture. Yeah. And just how, there's no there's no gentleness. There's nothing that feels scientific or like there's any bedside manner. It's just very like, hey, you know what? You're so broken that we can do whatever we want with you, and we have no reason to mince words about that. Well, there's also an interesting little line that um that leads you to believe that Keanu Reeves' entire like police history has totally been obliterated from his consciousness because he says, "Do you have any experience with agriculture?" And he goes, "I worked in an office." Which I assume is why that flashback scene is in there, because he looks at like the very like salary man, kind of like brown slacks, white shirt and tie. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like the only what he remembers, and this is there's a flash to it too when he's getting debriefed by Hank at the last, where his daughters show up, or what you know whatever that image actually is, that like it was like totally for naught, like that whole part of his life is gone. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's the the amount that he's lost. I mean, the collateral damage for this is not just it's not even like. I mean, I guess the the issue is it's it's the loss of of memory and it's a loss of consciousness. Like it's it's a greater death almost than actually dying. Mm -hmm. And then it makes you because like. 
you know, there's no scientific rigor in just having one guy do this. So, you know, you start thinking about like, well, how many people at New Path are there because of the same thing? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean they, they don't they don't allude to having done this more times, but they certainly don't allude to it like they not sure it's going to work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're like, well, we hopefully he'll wake up and he'll be able to bring us something. Yeah, and I think Donna has a nice note when they're when they're arguing about the well, not arguing, but she doesn't want to put out because she does so much coke. Um, she tells him that she wishes she could live in a cabin in the mountains, and that's where he ends up in New Path. So I think that was a nice little hint yeah. or note that she wanted. You know, she she knew what was going to happen with him next. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you can you can take from all those scientific, I mean, all the, um, not only those lines, but the um, the tests that they're doing on him, that they're sub, uh, subliminally programming him the entire time. Mm-hmm. In addition to whatever they're doing to make sure that he's fucked up enough that he'll actually get into this farm. Which, nobody's been to this farm, so they have to have recovered somebody from there at some point, which does kind of support the theory that they've been just like, like basically destroying people's brains to send them there. Cause we run into, um, Freck here too. Yeah. Cause he's there with a shaved head. Muttering, yeah. What is, what does he say at the table? I, he said something pretty philosophically. I, well, there, there, I think it's another Bible verse, but they're like saying that nothing living should be in service of the dead and the dead should be in service of the living. Yes. Yeah. That's what he says. It's like a, it's like a mantra that they share. Yeah, and then the tie-in with the death rising from the ground as uh, yeah. Keanu sees the flowers. It's just the whole tie-in to the, the death that is produced by Substance D and giving these people new lives. Like like you've said, this guy has had his mind wiped. Uh, he's trying to find himself like three times in this movie. Yeah. We, we kind of get, you know? Yeah, it, it's a whirlwind. So the, the, the way that the flowers are obscured is just because, I mean, they're just hidden under the corn because that's where you, you grow them so that nobody can see from overhead, right? I assume, like, and this is, might be just me reading into it, that maybe they're aware that the color blue is not easily recognizable by people with this particular brain problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, that they just can't process it because there's not a whole lot of blue in the movie. Besides the flowers. That's interesting. Yeah. Because I yeah, I was trying to, I, I really racked my brain about, you know, because he, he sees them and then they seem to disappear completely. But then he has the wherewithal to crouch down and see them again to take the one and put it in his boot. Yeah. Yeah, it's like some depth perception type of a scanner over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, God, yeah, such, it, such a good movie. Yes, very, very much so. One of my favorites. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you is anybody not giving this a ten? Because I feel like it's going to be pretty much across the board. Yeah, no, I'm I'm giving it a ten for sure. I'm so yeah. I'm so happy that you recommended this because I don't know if I would have revisited it. You know, uh, well, I'm glad we watched um Love, Death, and Robots specifically because that's talking about the witness was the reason I wanted to watch this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kobe, did you watch The Witness? Did you like that one? You watched the whole thing. Yeah, I've I watched them all, and after like further review, you guys were right. Some of them are just like, it was just a, uh, 
smorgasbord of like, look what we can do, cyberpunk or this or that or each little genre, but nothing really stood out the most. But you guys were talking about the uh, what was the something blue? What, no, what's the color? The guy who's the bot. Who's that artist? Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, Zima. Uh-huh. Zima that yeah. one. That I ordered... one really stuck with me again after uh, watching it again. Yeah, I ordered a Zima, not emphysema. <laughs> <laughs> we don't yeah. serve California cuisine in your lungs. <laughs> and then you guys talking about the this this the Love, Death, and Robots being cartoons for adults. Um, they didn't really hit it too well on on all of them, but this movie, Scanner Darkly was a cartoon for adults and it nailed it yeah i mean when they say like for adults i think a lot of times it's just like shorthand for edgelord bullshit <laughs> yeah right there's gonna be tits in it yeah <laughs> there are tits in this movie too yeah known us. yeah do you think those were real titties what were winona riders yeah who was the other woman i don't know, you know? Mm. they looked like different breasts to me yeah Winona Ryder has tremendous cans. If you've ever seen The Ten. Oh, I don't think I have. Where, uh, it's about, it's the Upright Citizens or the state people made like a movie about the Ten Commandments. Oh. And it's really funny. It's a bunch of sketches. <laughs> nice. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, we ended up talking a lot more about this. I think it's one of those things that like when you start the ball rolling, there's some good inertia with it. Because like, oh, what about this? And what about that? Because when we started, we were, I was looking at the clock. We're about 12 minutes. I'm like, well. We're done. I'm out of shit to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing there's nothing bad about this, which is which is the problem. It's like, yeah. well, what do you what do you say about something that's so well executed? Right, you um, don't want it to turn into the Chris Farley show. Yeah. <laughs> so you remember that time? Um, but you know, I really, I, I, to to Kobe's point, like the way you know we've hit on this, like this uses animation in such a such an intelligent way. Yeah. Because one, the, the type of animation aligns perfectly with this for myriad reasons that we've already listed. But it's also, you know, it, it's animation that captures the essence of the people and the characters while, you know, the actors were still able to kind of disappear into the roles. Like, I didn't spend the whole time looking and going, oh, hey, that's Robert Downey Jr. talking. It was like, no, this is this is this character. Mm-hmm. He happens to look like that. Where, you know, part of the beef we had about the, the Netflix thing was that there were a lot of times where it's just like, okay, well, that's just that person and that actor is just acting like they have acted in anything else. Like, it's not bringing anything to it. Yeah. Yeah, they're not like they, – they're just being themselves. And this movie, it kind of – it enhanced everybody's character. Yeah, absolutely. It's a huge oh, – so good. Yeah, and like we were saying too, like I never really was a Winona Ryder fan, and still like not that much. But this movie, she's just perfect in it. Just her role is great. Her lines are subtle and just nice and sweet. And then she has that you know reveal where she's Hank, and yeah, it's then you can tell she's concerned and she's into it, and she's been on top of this whole mission the whole time. Yeah, for such an absurd movie, like everybody's like very believable mm-hmm. like nobody's like like archly evil nobody's like a cartoon drug addict you know what i mean like it's just it's it comes from like a real honest place like the source material and i think they did well to adapt that absolutely yeah and i think i think too you know thinking back on it 
I think if I watched it a third time, I would probably note more melancholy in all of Winona Ryder's performance mm-hmm. because she is because she is undercover the whole time. Well, she's like, also yeah. the only one that's like fully aware of the entirety of all the situations. Yeah, yeah, she's been in and around. She's been in and with around all these people this whole time. And you and yeah, I mean she she's she's bearing the burden of Keanu's sacrifice. Yeah, she knows who everybody else is. She's aware of who she is. Yeah, you know, and like she's unable to reconcile. Like you said, it's like a very subtly sad performance that if you if you didn't know how it ended, I don't think you would pick up. Mm-hmm. But not in a bad way. Not like oh, she didn't do a good job conveying it. Oh yeah, no, I think I think it's just done so perfectly that it's you really in retrospect you can go back and notice those things, and I think that makes this movie stand up. There are a lot of movies where once you've watched it once or twice, you know everything that happened, and it's not going to add anything to it. And I think I think this is a text that can be read over and over and over again, and we could probably come up with, I mean, to to tap into whatever English major remains in me. Like, I'm sure I could write an essay of viewing on this movie. <laughs> like, I could pick a new topic and a new angle to approach from, and, and there would be something there. And that's that's remarkable. Yeah, this certainly holds up 10 out of 10 for me. Yeah, I mean, I can't recommend it enough. It is available on Prime. Uh, if you're already supporting powerful Lunar Shogun Bezos, go ahead and like get something for yourself out of the deal. Hell yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I don't know what we're going to do next week. I'm sure we'll come up with something, unless you had something in mind. Uh, I don't. You know, I've seen I've seen a couple other more traditional uh, anime films that are on Prime that maybe we, we can we can discuss it. Yeah, let's, let's go. Let's go, good. let's go a little lighter. Uh, yeah, than I'd, like, this. I'd like to. I'd like to swing back to maybe a, a something in the weird Wolf Brigade. Uh, Wolf Brigade. Yeah, <laughs> we already did two versions of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, because like uh, what uh, I don't know if we mentioned it on the show, there was also like an aborted, um, which we can still do where we both live, uh, kind of political show we did that was very dark. Yeah, like I'm kind of glad we didn't post because it got like really heavy. Maybe something we could revisit. Yeah, I think we could we could have another conversation here. Maybe when the when the NBA finals are over or something. A yeah, little, a little basketball and yeah, that was that was a bad pivot. By the way, I was like, yeah, we'll talk about this and we'll talk about basketball. So it's just like we're talking about like another American Civil War and armed uprisings, and like immediately pivoting to like. The Bucks versus the Raptors, which oh was God. like, yeah, so you, do you think uh, Kevin Durant's leg is going to be okay? <laughs> do you think we're going to run out of topsoil? <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh shit! Um, yeah, that article was was not. That's that's right. Years, sixty years, oh, and God. probably faster. Oh my God! Because like the population keeps increasing, well, worldwide, not like locally. But. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Yep. Fun stuff. Well, yeah, we'll think. I'll, let's we'll think on a movie for next week, and yeah, um, we got a new book episode. out. Uh, since we never plug anything, I would uh, I would like to plug Greg Shemkovitz's new book, Remind, which yeah. is out from Space Boy Books and deals with identity and surveillance. Uh, so it'd be a great tie-in for for this movie. Uh, you can go to readspaceboy.com and link out to buy a copy at the vendor of your choice. Absolutely. I look forward to reading that. Um, and I enjoy 
being on the podcast with you yeah, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks, like a grown up does. Thank you. Thank you guys. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, no, thank you for being on. And Kobe, yeah. any other time that you want to, please just, you know, just tell yeah. Sean you want to be on the show. <laughs> yeah, of course. Absolutely. It's great talking with you. Yeah, great talking with you too. All right, sweetie. I love you. All right, love you too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.